Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with the book of Isaiah, but in some ways we're moving into a almost like a new book. We're moving into a new section of Isaiah, which is going to feel very different. The first half of the book was very focused on uh, the judgment of the nations and ending up with the judgment of Jerusalem, uh, Israel and Jerusalem. And now we're moving into the consolation of of Israel in the face of that judgment. So we are in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8, where we read this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it is the voice of someone shouting. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. A voice said, shout. I asked, what should I shout? Shout that people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord, and so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, I had a real hard time saying this, the opening verses here without going into the wording of Handel's Messiah. This is probably one of the most famous uh, section sections of Handel's Messiah. Uh, first of all, this is the time now where Israel is in captivity in Babylon. They have been, the, the promise or the warning given to Hezekiah has been fulfilled. They're in captivity. There are, I, I didn't want to get into this. There are three different, three different major theories about the authorship of Isaiah. And, but all I wanted to say about that is that all three of them agree that this section was written during the time of their captivity. So it's a promise that they have to look forward to, that they can trust that their captivity will end. God is speaking to them uh, to comfort them. Now, one of the things is, uh, it seems strange to me that uh, there's this emphasis that God has paid Israel double for her sins. Uh, that doesn't seem very comforting. It seems kind of cruel. And I, I think this is because uh, this is a cultural thing that we miss, um, uh, a biblical thing that we miss. Uh, the idea is that they're probably the best sense, I think, to read this in is that to to be assured that their sin has been fully paid for, that in essence, there is no danger of there being more punishment. The idea of uh, this double payment of sin is found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, like you'd have to make double restitution for a crime. Um, and the notion comes uh, from like if you fold something over, both sides are the same. And so there's the idea that the punishment and the crime match each other. That's the kind of image that a doubling of the of the sin uh, it conjures up for people in this context. So it's not that God is like, well, I'm going to get you back twice as hard. So I just wanted to uh, to clear that up. The, the the comfort there is for them to know that their punishment has, is fully complete. They do not have to worry about that at all in this case. So. So there's this crying out in the wilderness, and this is uh, something that John the Baptist picks up on, or, or Luke refers to in connection with John the Baptist. And there's this making straight paths in the wilderness, making a highway to our God. And paved roads were really rare before the time of Rome. You can just imagine how hard it was, how much maintenance it required to maintain a dirt road 
uh, for that kind of traffic. Um, there is one surviving uh, treaty of an Assyrian king where he commands that when his son succeeds him, his vassal must submit to him and make smooth the way in every respect. So it's really almost exactly the same wording here. It's this idea of preparing for the reception of a king. It's it's kind of royal language. I also think it's a, a great image for evangelism. I'm sure many of us have, have heard it used that way. I love this idea that you would then have to keep constant watch on the roads to understand that it, the road is going to change with every season and with each storm. And so you have to be aware of all the, the pitfalls and potholes so that you can make an easier path because God is, a go, is going to show up. The glory will, of the Lord will be revealed, Isaiah promises, and all will see it. Not just Israel, not just uh, the, the surrounding nations, but all flesh will see it. And, and what's going to accomplish this? Well, God has spoken it. God has said it. And uh, this connects right to the next thing where it talks about we're all like grass, and, and that doesn't seem like a really positive, comforting thing. Um, but in a way it is because we have to recognize that every time we've depended on other people, when we look to heroes and uh, people who we thought were going to come through us or made promises to us, or even when we relied on ourselves, we all fail. We all fade. We're all, you know, we all wither like grass. We all pass away like grass. And so if we're going to be comforted, if we're going to rely on something that's going to bring this goodness to pass, well, it better be on something that's a better foundation. And it is, it's the promises that it's going to be built upon the word of the Lord, that God has spoken this into reality and God will accomplish this. So we can have uh, confidence as well. But especially as we look forward to the New Testament, as we look back to the time of Christ's first coming, of Jesus's coming, that this is a promise that uh, yes, there was an immediate fulfillment. We've talked about this two mountain theory where there's a, a small kind of uh, fulfillment of a promise uh, in, in the near future, but then there's a, a greater one in the distant future. And that distant future for them was the arrival of Jesus, that, that uh, John the Baptist would prepare the way for the Lord, uh, that Jesus would arrive and all flesh, all people would be able to see God with us. Dave, what do you see here in this passage? Um, so there's so many things. I mean, this is one of the just other than I think Isaiah 53, this is probably the most uh, well-known passage in Isaiah. Uh, you know, this whole chapter, not just the one section, but the whole chapter. Um, and, you know, you talked about it in the Messiah. And of course, I think of the uh, that iconic scene in uh, the chariots of fire uh, mm -hmm. as this entire chapter is read. Uh, it's just I mean, so powerful. And so anyway, I just I love this chapter. Uh, but this comfort, comfort my people. I just want to kind of look at that a little bit extra because, uh, as you said, and I think this is such an important thing, it's not that he actually waits until it really is over and then says, okay, now you're done. Everything's good here now, right? It's, Isaiah's not actually announcing, hey, now the good things are starting. What he's announcing is while they're in captivity and they see no hope, Right, all they can see is we're going to be here forever. We're like everything is destroyed, everything is lost, and that's the moment we start speaking comfort. When they were comfortable, he was speaking conviction, right? <laughs> Back in you know just last chapter, uh, but now that they're they're experiencing you know the, the the consequences of their sin, immediately he changes his tune, and is is now speaking comfort. And I think that word, you know, just the the English word comfort is an interesting one. Uh, in that when I think of comfort, I think of like, oh, there, 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 you know, sort of like the comforting. But actually the word, right, forte, we all know that, it, uh, that root means strength, right? And it's actually the whole idea is to give us strength. 
And the idea here in particular is, is he saying, comfort my people. It's give them the strength to endure what's what they're going to be experiencing because they are going to get through this, but they're going to need some strength. They're going to need strength to go through it. And this, the, the fuel for that strength is going to be hope, right? And you talked about this last Sunday in, in, uh, in your sermon, kind of, you know, what is hope and what isn't hope? Hope isn't just this kind of random optimism and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. No, no, hope actually is, I think, is a, uh, it's being able to hold on to the reality of the promises of God and, and, and in fact, bet on them completely, be assured that that is what is going to happen, even when everything in your current circumstances say that that's not true. Yeah. That's hope. And that's why I think our hope actually can really give us strength because we know what's going to happen. You think I, it's, it's impossible to happen from here, right? There, I just, I can't see how it could happen. And yet I know that God has said he will, and therefore I know it will. And I, and that is this hope that allows us to keep laboring and to keep going and to, to, to endure, I think, certain things. And I think this is why it's so important that when people are, are, are experiencing consequences of sin in particular, that you know, I think a lot of times then we want to bring conviction. And conviction is important. And Isaiah has been doing that. But once they start to experience, like feel the weight of their sin, as the Israelites are finally experiencing, right? The, the uh, uh, Israelites are, are experiencing it, you know, here in prison in Babylon. Now it's not sort of this like, uh, you know, like laughing at them, like, ha, ah, I told you so. Uh, you know, that's not the spirit at all. The spirit, in fact, is, okay, now you're here. This is the place I didn't want you to be, but you're here. And now I want you to get strength because you don't have to stay here. If you don't have strength, you may just give up, stop following God, and you will stay here. Mm. But I think that's the real point of comfort. And I'm saying this, obviously, not just for Israel. I'm saying it for us, that when we're in difficult circumstances, those are the moments we need to be comforted. When we see other people in difficult circumstances experience the consequences of sin, that's our moment to speak comfort, to give them the strength to be able to keep walking through it. So I, I, I see I see that piece. You already pointed out, which I think is is actually, you know, is so important, the, the whole um, connection with John the Baptist, right? John, when he's asked in the book of John, uh, they ask John who he is. He says, I'm the one who is clearing away in the wilderness for the Lord and making a straight path. Uh, and so you know, that's how he understands his role. And, and I actually would say in this case, John, that there's probably three mountains, right? You talked about the, the minimum, minimum uh, the, the immediate fulfillment that's kind of in a small way, but then the much grander fulfillment later that's often realized in Christ, right? And we see that again and again throughout Isaiah. I actually think that there's a third mountain in this case because John is doing what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, most of us think of ourselves as following Jesus, right? Which of course, in some ways that's true, but, but it's more true to say in certain respects, we're followers of John, right? We're the ones who prepare the way and, 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 you know, or prepare a road. We just make a smooth road for God to ride in on. Cause that's actually the real key thing. This is a road that God will use. It's not a road for the people to use to get to God. It's a way, it's a road that God will use to get to the people. Mm-hmm. And we now are sent like John the Baptist to make smooth roads to, to open up, you know, to kind of fill in some of those potholes, to get rid of some of the detours, figure out those things that are in the way of somebody being able to have an encounter with God. Mm-hmm. We can then do all of this. And, and some of the apologetics work that you and I do, John, some, some of it is that. Some of it's the kind of the winsome way, I hope, that we live and and the, the you know, kind of inexplicable way that we love and forgive. All of those things are part of just making a smooth road. 
but it does not matter how great a job you do with that. That will not convert people. You cannot convert people. All you can do is make a smooth road for God to ride in on so they can have an encounter with God. Only God can convert people. Right? No one comes to me, Jesus said. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. But we can play an important part by, by getting rid of some of the stuff in the way that's making it harder for them to have an encounter with God. Yes, we want to imitate Jesus in certain ways, but in a lot of ways, he's just unable to be imitated. He's so fundamentally different. But we can imitate John the Baptist in this respect, and we can imitate Mary, right? Those are really the people in the New Testament that we're called to actually imitate. And, and I think that uh, that a lot of us are now so glad that we've been found by God, but that we, we've sort of forgotten, hold it, now we're, now we're in the family business. Right now that we're in the family, we're in the family business, and the family business is creating roads, right? It's it's making it's filling in valleys. It's it's making it so that people can have an, uh, their own encounter with God, and this kingdom can grow and grow and grow and grow. I, I, and I think uh, sometimes a lot of that work, uh, some of the hardest work, is dealing with the stuff in us that's getting in God's way. Um, exactly. Because right. we end up being a roadblock to the gospel. That's I know I was our, so, our judgmentalism, yeah. our anger, our, you know, fear, our greed. Absolutely right. Yeah. That's a good word, John. My, my, my love of arguing with people was a huge <laughs> Yeah. 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 Hmm. Well, you and I both. well, let me uh, pray that we would be willing to engage in this work and that God would, would uh, give us the strength to do so. Our good and gracious God, we thank you for these promises. We thank you for the ways that we have been able to see you working these things out in the history of your people. Lord, we thank you for the invitation that we get to uh, continue, as as we said, uh, continue in the family business, Lord, that we get to participate in helping others have an encounter with you. Lord, help us have the eyes to see where the roadblocks are, the pitfalls, the, the potholes, the things that get in the way. Um, and especially, Lord, if we are the things that get in the way, Lord, help us to help people make peace with you, be at peace with you, to receive you and receive you. Um, Lord, may we have that spirit all the way through the rest of this book and through uh, this coming season as we approach um, Advent is around the corner. Lord, uh, help us to prepare the way for our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're going to be talking about this chapter for the next two days. We're going to stay here because there is so much good stuff here. So I hope you'll be here with us as we do it.